been in a series, for those of you guys who um, haven't been around the last couple weeks, um, a summer series called Rhythms for Life. We've been in the book of Psalms, and, uh, and I, I've really enjoyed going back through and studying this material. I, I took this class when I was in seminary, and uh, just as someone who loves to worship and to, uh, and to, to express myself through song and music, I've always been attracted to the Psalms, but I just didn't really have a good understanding of how to study it or really what it was communicating much of the time in different areas, because um, I don't know about you guys, but this is an ancient book, and sometimes it's not easy to understand what this ancient book is saying. Anybody else feel that way? Okay, cool. I'm not the only person. And so because of that, um, when I took this class, it was very transformative and, and just giving me a greater understanding as, as to why this book is so important and why it was so valuable to people in the Jewish culture moving up into the times of Jesus and, and even now has, has moved into our lives where it's important and impactful for our lives. So the series uh, overview that we're going through as we're going through these different phases, there's really four specific series uh, or four different messages that we're going through. We're on week three right now of this specific series. The first one was the Psalms of Orientation. I kind of expressed this this morning as we were singing, He is Yahweh, but these are very foundational psalms. These are expressions uh, relaying and, and letting us know that this is who God is and this is who he's always been. So re- we are reflecting on God as, as the sovereign God of the universe. God rules and the world is okay because he is king. And we have various aspects of that type of, of, of psalm. It's, um, they call it the imperatival praise. If you remember me saying that, that weird word, um, it's written from the perspective of well-being. And so you're not in disarray or anything like that. You're, you're in a place of well-being. It's, it's a good time. So these songs were written, these psalms were written from that place. And it begins and ends with a call to worship. So a lot of times these are the ones that you'll see um, uh, hallelujah to the, to the Lord most high, or give thanks to the Lord, and then it'll end the same exact way. Hallelujah to the Lord most high, or give thanks to the Lord. These are the type of psalms of orientation that we see. Then um, you also have the ones that are, that are presence-driven. These are the psalms of Zion, talking about from writing from a place from his presence, or, or writing to his, uh, the recognition of his presence in the place. And so those are the, the type of psalms that we see that are, that are more uplifting, and they're the ones that really give you a good solid foundation, the psalms of orientation. And then we moved into psalms of disorientation. Last week we talked about disorientation stage one. <clears throat> disorientation is a time where you have been in a place of orientation, it feels great, I'm in a place of well-being, and then all of a sudden... Bam, something happens, sets you off kilter, something that, that breaks into your life. Sometimes it's uh, something that you've done personally, and this is a consequence of your own personal actions. Um, sometimes it is an external factor, something on the outside that is breaking into your life and causing some kind of disarray. So you, you may not have done something, but someone somewhere somehow did something to cause a, a, a shift in your life and perspective and cause you to go from this place of well-being now to disarray. And last week we talked about how it's very important for us to recognize when we're in these places and to be honest when we're in this place. It's very easy for us when we're in this place of disorientation to long for that previous state of well-being that we were in and to constantly look back at that. As time is moving forward, I'm still looking backwards, hoping that that place is, could, could find its way back to me. If only I could go back to these days, then, then you start to find that you're really reminiscing to, uh, over, over reminiscing on the, on the good old days, forgetting that there are good days that are also ahead. You are so wrapped up in what has happened that you cannot see forward in what will happen. And so these times, whenever, and this is very easy to happen whenever you're in the middle of something that is very difficult, to want to remember and recall and to feel those feelings of well-being again. But many times it's we're searching for that feeling and not the one who sets you free from that disorientation. And so that's the stage of disorientation. Whenever in that stage one process, if we can sit there and go, okay, that was great, but this is my now. This is my now. So, so what is occurring in my life now? And what do I need to do from this point forward? When you can actually express what's going on in your life with other believers, then you will find that you're not shouldering this all by yourself. You don't have the weightiness of the circumstance or the weightiness of this disorientation 
weighing heavy on you. If you remember in scripture, it says that you are supposed to rid yourself of your burdens, lay it at, the, at, at his feet, take upon his, which his burden is easy, his yoke is light. And so we hold on to our own burdens many times so heavily because we feel like it's almost, it's either a badge of honor or you feel like you're strong enough to carry it on your own. And to an extent, for a while, yes, that could be very true. You can hold it. You can move throughout life with it. You can continue on through it. And that's, you know, that's great. Good. You know, clap hands for you. That's awesome. But there's a time where that will, that will start to, to weary your legs. Your shoulders will start to slouch. Your demeanor will not be able to hold on to those things much longer. It starts becoming harder and harder to, to communicate with others, especially those who you love, because this weight that is on you is slowly crushing you as time progresses. It's almost like the ancient torture system that they would have where they would, this was back in like the Salem witch trials, where they would lay, they would lay you down on a big, big, uh, uh, a big slab of stone, and they would lay another piece of slab of stone on top of you. And what they would do is they would take a big rock and set it on top of that slab of stone. You're in the middle, two big slabs, put a rock on there. And they would grab another rock. If you didn't confess to being a witch, they'd put another one on there. If you confess to doing these things, they'd grab another rock. Nope. And they would continue and continue, and your body would slowly be crushed, little by little. It's actually happened to a, to a man uh, during the Salem witch, tri witch trials. Well, message is not on that today. But at the same time, it's that process of, of you continuously allow that weight to crush you and crush you and crush you. Because you won't open your mouth and allow other people to speak life into you in these moments. This stage of disorientation. Now we're going to be moving into this week is going to be disorientation stage two. That's what we're going to be going through this week. And then the last stage... Um, which we'll go through next week, is going to be the reorientation stage. And that's how we will kind of summarize and wrap up uh, this, this great series. We may go one more week and just give a nice little overview to in totality over what, what we've gone through. But these are the, the various aspects of the book of Psalms that you'll see. Each one of the Psalms that are in the book, in the Psalter, each one of them fit one of these specific stages. Now I want to share a graphic with you before we start too. Um, I found this very interesting um, I, I, I snatched this up from my, uh, my, my Old Testament professor, Dr. Mark Bodo, and uh, I, I thought this was really interesting. If you see the purple stands for the Psalms of Orientation. These are percentages of the types of these Psalms that you find in the entire book of Psalms. So the purple is Psalms of Orientation. 29% of the book of Psalms, Psalms of Orientation, 29%. You look in the green, or let's, let's go a little further. Let's go in the blue. In the blue at the very bottom, very, very bottom, you see that is 8%. 8% of the book of Psalms are the ones of like, oh, God, why, where, when? This is the worst. This is horrible. My life is over. You have abandoned me. And kind of ends that way. Ends very doom and gloomy. You guys remember Psalm 88? We talked about that last week. The, the most, like, hardcore, depressive, like, there's no hope. <laughs> feeling in that psalm, that's, that's this type of psalm right here that many, many theologians and scholars called Psalm 88 the saddest of all psalms. And so there's only 8% of the, of the book of Psalms is filled with these. And then you look at disorientation stage two, a whopping 48%. 48%, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Those psalms of disorientation stage two. And then 15% goes through the actual testimonial section, the, the, the enlightened that we have gone on the other side of this circumstance, and now here we are to glorify and to honor God and all that he has done. So this shows you a little bit of, of, a, of an interesting picture or view of the type of thought processes that the people who wrote the book of Psalms were in. Very interesting to see it on this graph because, because many times we, we may think that, all right, the book of Psalms, we're supposed to just be real uppity. This is going to be the best. Like, I'm supposed to be super happy. This is what I'm supposed to be like. And they're going to have just a couple of these that are just, they're just going through some things. But in reality in life, you find that when you are in a very joyous celebratory moment, those moments are a real good peak. But that peak also doesn't last for forever. Right? If, you, if you're familiar with any type of, of competition, any type of competition, you look at the rule book, 
Like, it, let's say you're playing Monopoly, okay? Let's just go there, real basic. We're playing Monopoly. You sit there, you're talking through, you read the rules, everybody establishes. This is the orientation of the game. The foundational rules and the great expectation is that you could win. You're going to have all the businesses, you're going to have all the properties on the, on the map. It's going to be great. That's the goal. Awesome. I feel very hopeful. I have my little figurine. It's going to be awesome. I have, we have the die that we, you know, throw and then see where we're going to go. I even had money at the beginning. That's really cool. This is awesome. And then the game goes. It starts. And you start to realize, oh, man, I'm probably losing a little bit of money right now. Somebody is taking my money as we're going. Then you go through the whole process. You start playing. There's highs. There's lows. You're, you're getting excited. And then the very end, somebody wins, right? Celebration. And then the game is over. And that's it. Then you can restart the game and start all over again. Same thing in athletics. You play a game, you have to go through the process of, okay, did I make the team? I'm on the team. Awesome. I've got a jersey number. I've got a locker. This is awesome. I'm pumped. Now, we're going to practice. Practice is not fun. Man, I thought this was going to be super cool. This is not. My legs hurt. My arms hurt. My head hurts. I'm tired. I'm thirsty. Man, I just want to go home and sleep now. I'm hungry, too. But I don't want to eat and sleep at the same time. i got to do one or the other. So now you're going through all these thought processes, going through all this, your muscles tearing, you're, you're figuring out some things. But at the same time, because you're a part of a team, it's kind of fun. Because you have some kind of bond that's being built now. You start to see some gains in the middle of it. There's still some struggle. But you find that in the middle of the team, you're able to shoulder the difficulty in there. Now you get to a game. The back and forth of a really good team who also played along, uh, who also practiced the same way that you practiced. Practiced really hard, going through all the things that they need to. Their muscles also tearing and, and going through all the growth processes. They have to build themselves up as a unit as well, too. So now you guys come together and you're playing one another. Now you have the, the bumps in the road during the game. Sometimes you have a really good play, sometimes it's not. Then you come to the last moment where somebody ends up triumphant and somebody ends up losing. Then you have to rinse and repeat all over again. The win is very minute, happens very briefly. I remember any time that I had, I, I played in any kind of sports, like I'll take football, for instance, because that was very methodical. When I played football, you would win on a Friday night. I mean, you go through all week long, just in the hot sun, you're practicing a bunch, you're trying to figure out what the other team can do, what you're capable of doing, how you guys are going to strategize against the other team. You'd go through that whole entire process, the entire week, figuring out, getting frustrated, trying to see what you need to do to make sure that you can be as ready as possible. Then you get to Friday night, those lights are on, you're playing, it's amazing, it's fun. You go through the, the difficulties of the game, and let's say we win. Man, feels so great. You guys are celebrating that night, you're pumped, you're high-fiving everybody, you're in a great mood when you go home, but then Saturday morning rolls around. Guess what we're doing? We get up, we go, and we lift. We do, some, we do some laps, we run around, stretch our legs, and then we watch film in preparation to get ready for the next week. That win lasted for a brief moment. You're excited that that happened, but you've got to continue on because there's another team that's going to be facing you that very next week that you're going to have to go through the same exact process to make sure that you're prepared and you're ready. So these moments that we find, and which I love about this graph, is that it's not absent of the testimonies at the back end. But it shows you that there's a struggle that people go through in the middle of life. And many times, it's not just the mountaintop experiences. We love sharing testimonies, and many times we look at a testimony and say, I need to have just this continuous process of feeling like I'm in a testimony season forever. And to an extent, yes, we have, we have been saved by the grace of God, which is an amazing testimony. But you don't always feel that mountaintop just the spirit of God is heavy in the room all day long and you're just falling out everywhere. That is not the, the, the occasion in the way that we live our lives. And so what do we do in the midst of this? And this is where I feel like a wonderful representation of these disorientation stage two processes really shows us lots of the ebbs and flows of what happens in the middle of life. So if you remember, the, the cool thing about this is that these, the Psalms of disorientation stage two, very similar to the first stage. It just has an extra element at the very back end. So I'm just going to do a quick overview from last week of some of the things because we're going to see a lot of similarities here. So disorientation, this is where the sovereign God 
allows suffering to enter into our lives. These Psalms of Lament were written in a, in a period of distress, expressing despair and longing for salvation. Some basic elements that we find are our invocation. This is where we, we invoke the presence of God. We're like, oh God, oh God, crying out to him. Then a declaration to pour out. God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to die. Oh God, I'm going to be wiped from this earth. Oh God, I am this, I am that, X, Y, and Z. You can input anything that you want. God, I'm going to be broke. God, I'm going to be homeless. God, I'm going to lose my job. Oh God, it's the despair. The declaration. Then, then you have the portrayal of distress. This is what is happening to me. So, oh God, I'm going to lose my job because this person is speaking ill against me every time I walk into the door. Or, oh God, my, my, my marriage is falling apart because this person cannot X, Y, and Z. <clears throat> oh God, I'm going to be broke because these bill collectors keep chasing after me left and right. Everywhere I turn, they want a chunk of my money. And then the question comes of why. Why, God, is this happening to me? Am I not supposed to be your child? How long is this suffering going to occur? And then our plea comes into this, into this place. It's the strong imperative, like, you need to rescue me today. You have to do this. Or even a weaker uh, position would be like, if you were available Perhaps you would like to, at some point in time, come and rescue me. You know, you may, you may want to be like a little more polite in that instead of like demanding stuff. You're like, oh, if you just had just a, a few brief moments, please, sir, for some porridge. And then you have the other one, the third one, which is where you are just like wielding these great, harsh Curses against your enemy. Lord, just strike them dead. Remove them from the face of the earth. Make them go bankrupt instead of me. Make them lose their job instead of me losing my job. Uh, any, anything that those are extreme examples, but at the same time, we have had those thoughts before it, right? Anybody? You are so aggravated that they've come against you that you want them to suffer more than you have suffered. And then you appeal to God's character, the motivation for him to help you. You're, you're saying, God, you're, you're so great. And I know that you are the one who can do this. And you start naming every scripture that you know, like trying to remind God as if he forgot who he was. I'm pretty sure you said in the word that you were going to do this, 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 this. You're like, I'm just letting you know. I'm not seeing it. I don't know what you're doing up there, but this is who you are supposed to be. You also talk about the magnitude of this distress. If you don't help me now, then I will die for sure. You appeal to the righteousness of, of your own self at times too. God, I have been the greatest that I've ever been before. I used to be the biggest screw up, but now I'm doing so much better. I've not said this in so many days or I haven't done this in so many years or whatever the case may be. But now it seems as if you're against me. These pleas. And then you have the vow or the promise. I remind you guys last, last week that whenever I was a little kid, and like, God, if I just don't get in trouble for this, I promise you for the rest of my life, I will go serve in Zimbabwe or something like that. Like, I'll do whatever it is you want me to. Just don't let them find out that I took that gum from, from their purse or something. I don't know, whatever, whatever it may be. God, if you would only do this, then I promise you I will do that. It's a little silly example of me as a little kid, but we find ourselves doing this, trying to bargain and negotiate for God's grace. Then they have three specific subjects of their of their desperation or their despair. The first one is they'll blame God. Usually that's, a, that's, an, that's an easy scapegoat that we, we try to find in our difficulties. It's not my fault. It's not somebody else's fault. This is God doing this against me. 
he's the one who's in control, then he's the one that's punishing me or coming against me. The other one is, is that we blame an enemy of some sort, some kind of accuser or opposition, whether it be natural or spiritual. Many times if we're more spiritually oriented uh, in the supernatural, then we'll say, you know, the enemy is coming against me, some kind of demonic oppression, some kind of evil terror is coming against me in my life. If you're more naturalistic minded, that's where you go first. And a lot of times it's like this person is the worst of all time. And they're the person who's coming against me. And so I blame them for all of my issues. Now, many, it, many times we end up going through many variations of this. We'll either blame God for something or blame somebody else or blame a, a supernatural force or something like that. We'll go through these processes of blame everybody else. And then we'll go to a position, too, of self, self-blame. And sometimes people get very self-deprecating in the middle of this. They really put themselves down. It's very easy to be that way, especially for me. I'm, I, I have been more of a people pleaser in my life, and so I will much of the time look at myself as the, as the cause for all the issues that are going on. That's just the way that my, my mind goes first. That's the first place it goes. And so there's a, there's a blaming of self. Now, sometimes... It is absolutely your fault. <laughs> Sometimes it is absolutely somebody else's fault. Okay? These are the realities. And there are other times where God sure does allow something to happen. Ergo, an entire book that we have in the Bible as a representation of this by a man named Job. God allowed these things to happen to Job. And so we see that there are some various aspects of this that, yes, it could be true, but there could also be an overemphasis of any one of these areas where we, pl- we try to place blame on and we fixate on that. And so these are things that we see. The themes that you find in these disoriented states, again, this is a, a, just a recap of some of the things from last week, are prayer songs in times of natural disaster. There are two different types here. Natural disasters could be something individually. So this could be something with like sickness uh, or disease that's happened to your own body. It's not happened to everybody else, but it's happening to you. Um, a natural disaster uh, could also be communal or, or grouped to where it's something like a famine or a drought or a plague or maybe a terroristic attack on a nation or something like that. There's something that happens to not just one person, but to a mass group of people. So you have those two, natural disasters individually and then corporately or communally. Another one is human persecution. So this could be something that's like uh, an accusation against yourself. Someone brings a false accusation against you. Could be also true. But you have been accused of something individually. And then another one could be something like war or civil strife. So something that's happening globally, when you think of like World War One, World War Two, things like that. And then, then you go into a process of, could even be like a civil war, a war within a nation, or a war within a people group. Or one could also say, a church split. See, there's some kind of warring that happens between people, and it doesn't just involve one individual. And so we looked at Psalm 88 as an example of this, as the saddest psalm. We won't go into that again today. But what I want to do is that in this disorientation stage two, the difference that we start to see comes into a place of trust and penitence or trust and and repentance that we see. Trust and offerings. We see these various elements where you have all of these different types of things that can occur. It could be something that comes against somebody naturalistically of an individual or a people group. It could be something that, uh, that happens against a human so human to human so it could be an individual accusation or it could be something that happened civilly or nation or nationally and so these are things that we still find in disorientation stage two however let's look at psalm chapter three as an example psalm chapter three did i put that in there i didn't put that okay i'll just i'm just going to read it out for you guys okay because this is a very short chapter it's only eight verses So he says this, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. 
But you, Lord, are, my sh- are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail on me every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessings be on your people. So we have a human predicament in verses 1 and 2, right? Oh, Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? He cried out, oh, Lord. Remember, oh, God. Oh, Lord. How many are my foes? They rise against me. Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. This is a predicament that he's in. They're feeling, feeling that, that the, the multitudes are surrounding. Interesting, this psalm, contextually, just to let you know, is a psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. So when Absalom was chasing after him, trying to have him killed so that he could have the throne, David was fleeing from him. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. So think of that. David has had some of the most incredible battles and victories that you've seen in the, in the Bible thus far. Up until the point in his life, he has seen, he saw Goliath go down, cut his head off. He did many other things against, like, it was him and Jonathan or him and another person. They go out just to two of them and destroy an entire multitude of people in battle. Insane. He'd rise up against many different armies and overtake them and see God's hand for him. In the days of Saul, when Saul was chasing after him, he had this ragtag group of individuals that they were able to go out and hide. And they were doing, like, co-op missions. It was crazy. And now he's having people saying many things into his ear that God will not deliver him this time. So think of the oriented state that he was in beforehand, knowing this is what God has done. But now he's in a position where his son is chasing after him, wanting him dead so that he can take the throne. How many are the foes that he feels that he has if even those in his household cannot withstand and sustain him? So this is his invocation, his invoking for the presence of God. Oh, God, how many are my foes? This declaration to pour out his soul before God. Many are saying, God will not deliver me. The distress that he has. But then he breaks in, but God, you are the shield around me. Remember remember this part of the disorientation stage? Hey, God, this is who you are. Just, just want to let you know, remind you, just in case. Hello, you up there? Just, just one more thing. You're a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers from his holy mountain. Now, this is where you see trust comes in here. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though, tens of thousands assail on me every side. This is his petition to the Lord. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. And then you have this wonderful song, this liturgical application, this transforming voice from the Lord comes deliverance. This is interesting because this is almost an answer to his prayer that he had for the first seven verses. Notice how the shift changes right here in this place. It's the very last verse. But there's a shift in the tone and the direction. He is declaring at the very beginning of this, oh God, this is horrible. The worst thing ever that's happening in my life, it's happening right now. Moves into the things that are occurring next. He's like, but, but God, this is who you are, and so this is, this is what, your, your, what your character is supposed to be like. I honor you for who you are and all these things. I remember your good deeds and all that's happening here. And then, in the middle of that, because he changed his perspective, and he looked and put trust in God. In verse 8, there's a response. Now, there, there's a little bit of a difference of opinions between certain people who have written commentaries on this. Some believe that this is like a prophetic voice speaking into what's getting ready to happen. From the Lord comes deliverance. They believe that that's a prophetic declaration. 
There are others who have the opinion that the first seven verses were written throughout the time of despair and discouragement that were happening. And his response to reorient his mind and to think about what it is that God is actually doing and what he's able to accomplish. And not just look at his circumstance, but look at the character of God and who he is. And then took a time out while things progressed. And then later on, whenever David came back and was established as king as Absalom was slain, came back and wrote the last verse from the Lord as a testimony. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. This is, this is the difference between disorientation stage one and two. The first stage ends with the person, remember I, I did this last week, ends with the person on their knees with their head to the ground, shaking and saddened in full despair, feeling depressed and anxious about everything that's happening, seeing that there's no hope because as they look down, they see that the dirt is there feeling as though they're closer to the dirt than they are their own God. This stage, though, is the process of saying, okay, I'm going to, after I've, I've let out all these emotions, I've communicated my, my distress, now that that's happened, I'm going to lift my head and remember who God is. I may still be here on the ground, but I notice that there's hope as I can see the light. I still feel the dirt on my knees. I can still touch the ground with my hands. But the difference is that now I remember who God is. I'm not just telling him he has to do these things. I'm telling myself. Reminding myself, because God has not forgotten who he is. His identity has not been shaken. His understanding of what he's capable of has not wavered or waned or waxed. He is fully aware of his power and his might and his capability. But it is I who forgot what he is able and capable of doing in the midst of my circumstance. And so now I can look up and look forward and say, but I remember from those times of orientation, I can remember that this is who he is. I can remember the testimonies time and time again of what he did for people in times past. I can remember in those, in those moments of despair and, and distrust that they may have had that the Lord was still faithful and enduring and good and capable, overwhelming with miracles, signs and wonders and healing and restoration. And so I can now reorient myself into a, pos into a position of saying, my circumstance has not changed, but my thought process has now. This is the powerful nature of why I think it's imperative that we recognize that 48% of the book of Psalms is this process right here because we need to have a reminder in our disoriented states, in the times where we see that, that persecution comes or in the times where we see the difficulty arises, that we should reorient our mind. This is why Paul also says that we're not to be conformed by the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I beseech you by the mercies of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. This is proper worship. This is your spiritual worship. So do not be conformed by the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The transformation of your mind is the process that helps lead you out of the disoriented state, realizing that circumstances will continue regardless of your, um, your attitude or not, but it is what's happening inside your heart and your capabilities of moving forward as you shift your perspective from a woe is me into but God is the one who is my redeemer. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. The difference in disorientation stage one and two is this, that God's voice breaks in. God's voice breaks in. Because again, I cannot take myself out of the pit. I'm going to say that again. I cannot take myself 
out of despair. However, when I partner with what the Holy Spirit is doing, then I will be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel, and I will be able to testify of God's good works. Again, it's not me who saves myself, but in obedience, as I walk out in endurance with what he's called us to, then you will be able to see the good deeds of the Lord manifested in your life. And so we see this. God's voice breaks in prophetically, and this could either be externally by another person speaking life into your, into your soul, speaking a word from the Lord into your, into your heart. The Lord will use people to, to reiterate certain things and to lift you up. It's the beautiful thing about prophecy. Prophecy should not be something weird or manipulative or anything like that. When it starts getting into that category, it starts becoming self-serving. And that's when people misuse gifts. That is not what we want to do around here, amen? But as a prophetic community, we want to be people who can exhort and encourage people and really listen into intently to the voice of the Holy Spirit so that when people are in these places, we can be agents of God's grace. So this could happen externally, but it could also happen internally. This could be the conviction of the Holy Spirit pricking your heart in the middle of this time, speaking and illuminating things into your mind, kind of breaking you out of this fog or this phase that you've been in. Even doing, even studying in this, uh, for this, this passage and for these, this series, uh, Danielle was, was visiting some, some friends and family, or some of her family in Ohio, and I had like two days to myself where I was just kind of hanging out at the house. And so I was, I was going through these passages. I took a couple walks um, that day, and I was very intent. Usually when I walk or do something like that or kind of hanging around, I have some background noise going, usually like a podcast or, you know, maybe a commentary, someone reading out commentary or something like that, an audio book. I just love having information to consume like that. It feeds me a lot. But I felt really, really convicted or, or really pressed to have nothing on and to just walk and just dialogue with the Lord or just see where my thoughts went in those moments. So I walked and walked and walked. And, and it's as if things that Danielle and I had been talking about that I've really been trying to work on and really trying to, to reiterate in my, in my heart, it's like they illuminated all in one moment. And it's like, it's like it just made sense. Have you, has that ever happened to you? You've talked with people about things. You've really wanted to grow in an area, and you've listened. You conceptually, like, you know it in your mind, and you, you've got it, but it just hasn't been able to, like, click internally. It just hasn't, like, really happened. Like, you haven't had the drive or the, the mission or desire for it yet. It's like you know it, but you haven't been able to apply it. But then all in a moment, it's like, oh, it just, it's there. Like, it's been there all the whole time, and I just haven't seen it. It's like been hiding in the corner or something like that. And so these things will happen where God will illuminate something into your mind. He will illuminate something in your heart. As you're reading scripture, he will bring things out that you've read hundreds of times before, but you hadn't seen it in this kind of perspective and something that speaks to you in that very moment of your life. And so we're going we're gonna to end this message with Psalm 141. Psalm 141. This is a psalm of David. He says this, verse 1. I call to you, Lord. Come quickly to me. Hear me when I call you. This is this moment of distress. Oh, God, I call to you. Verse 2. My prayer, or may my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting up of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. Set a guard over my mouth, Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil, so that I take part in the wicked deeds, along with those who are evildoers. Do not let me eat their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me. That is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. For my prayer will still be against the deeds of evildoers. That's, that's a powerful verse right there. 
powerful verse. I'm going to read it again. Let a righteous man strike me. That is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. That is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it, for my prayer will still be against the deeds of the evildoers. Their rulers will be thrown down from the cliffs, and, their, and the wicked will learn that my words were well spoken. They will say, as one plows and breaks up the earth, so our bones have been scattered at the mouth of the grave. But my eyes are fixed on you, sovereign Lord. In you I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. Keep me safe from the traps set by the evildoers, from the snares that they've laid up for me. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by in safety. Psalm of disorientation, stage two. Again, the reason for this is that he knew that there were things that were tempting, tempting him, drawing him in. The deeds of other people around him, knowing that he's been enticed to participate in some of these deeds and some of these activities. And so asking the Lord, please, I've been in this, I mean, this psalm, I've been here a million times. Please let somebody strike me if I participate. Let a righteous person bring that conviction. Let the correction be like oil on my head, and I will not refuse that oil. My head will not refuse it. The beautiful thing about this, too, is that a righteous person can come and bring correction there. But the beautiful nature of in that correction, you have the oil of the Holy Spirit as it drips and it moves from your head to your feet. He said, let the oil drip on my head. My head will not refuse it. When the Holy Spirit can illuminate your mind in the midst of that correction and it moves from your mind throughout the rest of your body, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let the correction of a righteous person within the community of believers that you're around, which is why accountability is so imperative, let the correction come and then allow the Holy Spirit to wash over you like thick oil, transforming you from your mind throughout the rest of your activities knowing that it is a grace that we have been given the opportunity to be in the community of believers in the middle of this. In the middle of his temptation, he's feeling the tension of that. This is an internal consequence. We've talked a lot about in the other chapters how there's an enemy coming against David, someone coming against this psalmist, these people around, but this one is very specific because this is an internal battle that this psalmist is fighting. In these moments of temptation, let a righteous person strike me. And let the oil run over my head. I will not refuse the Holy Spirit's correction. Even if the person who is correcting me may not have the greatest. The greatest way of correcting. I need to listen to the Holy Spirit because it is not the person that I'm submitted to. It is the Holy Spirit. And is the Holy Spirit using an imperfect person to communicate to me something that I need to have illuminated inside of me? We become very prideful. It's easy to become prideful when you know things. When you feel like you're in a position that is greater than somebody else, or you feel like you're in a, in a, in a knowing, or maybe you're, you've been following Christ for a lot longer, and someone who's pretty new in the faith calls you on, on something that you're doing. You're like, I just want to punk you back. Bow! I'm going to get my foot out. But then you listen to the Holy Spirit, because he could be using a child to bring in correction to your heart. So listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit in the middle of that. Set guard over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not let my heart be drawn to what is evil so that I take part in wicked deeds. Along with those who are evildoers, do not let me eat their delicacies. Let a righteous man strike me, that is a kindness. Let him rebuke me, that is oil in my head. My head will not refuse it, for my prayer will still be against the deeds of evildoers. My prayer will still be against the deed of evildoers. And when you become an evildoer, your prayer is against what you are participating in. So at the same time, you're, gonna, you're going to 
have to go through a process of consequence in either, either being corrected by a righteous person or going through an earthly consequence of whatever it is that you've been doing. My prayer is against those who do evil. And so, Father, keep my heart pure, keep my mouth clean, keep my, keep my intentions and the things that I have. This is why it's a blessing to have people who can correct at the same time because they will keep you away from the consequence of evil. My eyes are fixed on you. This is the place where you're on your knees. Keep me from these things, but my eyes now are fixed on you, God. Here is where my help comes from. My eyes are fixed on you, sovereign Lord. In you, I take refuge. Do not give me over to death. Keep me safe from the traps set by evildoers, from the snares they have laid for me. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by in safety. His perspective went from this is what's happening internally to me to now this is who you are. And because of who you are, when I'm in you, when you're in me, when we're in community together in this place of I'm walking out into obedience and I'm in the community of other believers where I can stay accountable, then the snares that have been set by the evildoers will not succeed. They will not come to pass. At the very end, they may try and I may be stepping around it. I could hear the traps collapsing as I'm going around and it could seem terrifying, but I will not be entrapped to the position of death because in Christ, I'm alive. So because I'm in you, I will not end in death by these evildoers. Instead, they will reap the harvest of their own seed planting. The traps that they have set, they will be succumbed by my affection and attention will be on you, God. Walking out in obedience, everything that you have said. So I reorient this process that I have in my mind and bring repentance in my heart, asking for forgiveness for the times that I have not trusted in you and that I've looked at the circumstance as the greater power. The times that I've looked at other people's deeds as the overwhelming sense of being the sovereign. When you, God, are sovereign. You are the king of kings and lord of lords, and you I have my trust and put my hope in. And therefore, if that's the position that my heart takes and my eyes are set on, then there will be no defeat of my soul. There will be no defeat. You may still be feeling the ground. You may still touch the dirt. You may still have the scent of ash. But your eyes are fixed on the one who brings life. This is the disorientation stage, too, that if we would come to the ability to remember and reflect in these ways, as they do in many, many, many psalms, then we will be able to see that I am struggling in this moment, and I, it's, it's difficult here, but God will see me through. I have to be paying attention to his voice, listening to the community of believers around me, and seek to not hold the burden on my own. Because that is not what we are supposed to do as a body. We are not just individuals. We are the body of Christ. You individually are not the body of Christ. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. But the beautiful thing is that whenever you have all of his temples together, they combine into a beautiful, glorious place of refuge and safety. And you can feel the weightiness of his glory as you exchange the stories and the times of your life. Let us weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. You cannot do either of those if you are not within community and you're not sharing these moments with one another. We are called to weep. We are also called to rejoice. In both of those moments, we can give God glory so that we can see how he's going to move in the midst of either of those circumstances. You can be a testimony to somebody of the goodness of God as you talk about what you've gone through that's led you up to this point now, which is beautiful. But you can also be a beautiful testimony to somebody as you're currently struggling through some things, showing that you are persevering through it, having faith that Jesus will bring you through and that there is good on the other side of this. Even though you may not be able to see it, you know that he is there and that he can bring you through it. Amen. Let's stand. Jesus, thank you for your scripture. Thank you for the wonderful opportunity that we have to reflect back and to learn from your word 
what it means to live for you and in you. God, we do not just want to be people who come and, and learn stories so that we can just be filled with stories but not be able to apply them. Thank you for the book of Psalms and for the many different people who experienced tragic moments, who experienced heartache, and who had to go through difficult situations. Thank you that we were able to see how they dealt with them and, and see the testimony of, of your faithfulness on the other side. Lord, we realize that there are many different things that we will go through just as being a part of, of a community of believers, but also just being here on earth as a human. And so thank you that you've put in your word great examples of what it means to look for you and to look to you in the midst of despair and what could feel like hopelessness. Help us be open and honest with one another. Let us not have judgmental eyes whenever we go through certain things or whenever we hear of other people going through hard situations. But let us truly have grace that you have given us and display that for others so that they can know that you truly do love us. I pray for a, a peace to fall on those in this room right now. Lord, for anybody who's dealing with uh, a disorienting process in their life, whether if it's a relational tear, whether if it's a, a, a job process that they're struggling to go through, whether if it's finances, if it's fa family, Lord, if, it's, uh, if, if it has to deal with anything uh, monetarily or, or, or just physically, Lord, whether if it be, be mental or external, Lord, that you would just bring peace on their minds. Saturate their heart with your presence. Convict them to a place of realigning their focus. And connect them with other people in the midst of the assembly. We love you, Jesus. We believe that your word is true. We believe that you are holy. We believe that you are sovereign. We believe that you are not a distant God, but you are here and near. So let us remember those Monday through Saturday and not just on Sundays. We give you praise because you're worthy. We give you honor because you deserve it. We place all of our hope in you. We love you, we love you, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. If you, would, if you would like some prayer, we'd love to pray with you afterwards. Um, we'll do that briefly. We're going to still meet, so if you'd like to meet um, real quick, then, then we'd love to do that. we just come here in, in one of the front rows, and we can uh, go through some stuff. You guys have a wonderful Sunday. Have a great time. We'll see you guys next week or Wednesday if you guys come on Wednesday night.